Thank you for listening to the Prairie Oaks Pulpit Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday morning sermons. I hope it is a blessing to you and contributes to your spiritual growth. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, supporting this ministry. God bless. Now let's get to the sermon. So when you hear the term, the justice of God, what picture comes in your mind? The justice of God. Judgment. Judgment. There is a judgment coming. And a judgment has been done. There's judgment. Now, when you say that then, not only what picture comes to mind, what feeling comes to mind? What feeling comes in your heart when you hear the justice of God? Judgment. Preach it, brother. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That is kind of what we're supposed to be feeling, isn't it? And that's good. Absolutely good. And that's what we're going to look at today, is we're going to look at the justice of God. And I have a verse that to kind of start us on this. It's not the one I'm going to be preaching from, but it's in Proverbs, Proverbs 17, verse 15. And in fact, I think he's got it up there. That's awesome. Uh, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. His justice is essential to his character. It is who he is. And so for evil to be called good and for good to be called evil, it is an abomination. It is deplorable to him. It is reprehensible to consider that the, the righteous, the, the just would be punished for that and that the wicked would be praised, would be declared righteous. That's deplorable to him. His justice is that tied into who he is. And so I want that picture reinforced now. And then we're going to go to Romans chapter 3. And we're going to then unpack how this plays into what we read in Romans chapter 3. So Romans chapter 3, we're going to start in verses 20. Uh, my notes are probably inconsistent for you, Scott, but it's supposed to be verse 21 through verse 26. Um, and if you're able, would you stand with me out of respect for God's word? Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pause for prayer again. Father, we need you to open our eyes, open our hearts and minds, Lord, to the truth of your word. Guide my words and thoughts to accurately teach your word, for they are powerless and even, and even dangerous, Lord, if they are not anchored in your inspired word. 
as preserved in the scriptures. Lord, we ask that you work both in here and in Children's Chapel, Lord, to apply the word to hearts, that the lost would be saved, lives transformed, and that your name would be praised, O Lord, both by our lips as well as by our actions. We need you, Lord, because we were made for you. We love you because you first loved us. Forgive us of the many ways we fail you because of your justice and righteousness. And in the name of Jesus Christ, our sacrifice and Savior, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And so we kind of pick up where we left off last week where here in in Romans chapter 3, we've been building up to this point where he has unpacked that we are sinners. Short, short verse. You know, we saw that in verse, in verse 23 there. For all have sinned. All have broken God's righteous commands. We were created for one thing and we live our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We each have gone our own way. We all have sinned and we've all fallen short. And in I am not a marksman. Don't let the thick glasses fool you. I really can't see and I don't have the coordination to make up for it. But when you go to aim at a target, it's not only a matter of going left and right. You have to be able to get to the target. And we miss the target, not by going left or right. We don't even get to the target. We fall short. The target is the image of God. That is what we were created to be in Genesis. And we fall short. We have, have failed to do even that. And so he has made his case. He's proven his point. And what hope is there? Because God is a just God. There's, he's a God of justice. And as we saw in Proverbs, he, he can't not punish sin. It is who he is. But Paul has hope. He has some good news. The gospel is that there is a way to be declared in right standing with God, the righteousness of God. And it doesn't come by us keeping the law, which is good because we couldn't do it anyways. We all failed. But it has been witnessed, he said, it has been Revealed by the law, by the prophets. Moses and his writings and those that wrote after have revealed that God does declare sinners righteous. And that's that's almost problematic. How can he do that and still be a God of justice? How does the justice of God match up with that? It is through faith in Jesus Christ to all, on all who believe. By faith. To those who believe. He says it so many times in these these six verses that you would think he was really trying to emphasize the point. You're right. He's really trying to emphasize that point. It's through faith. But it is not our faith that saves us. And I was trying to... It's an imperfect... uh, 
uh, it's an imperfect illustration, but I'm going to use it if you'll be patient with me. But it is, our faith is like the bucket that carries the water to us, the life-giving water of life to us. It wasn't the bucket that saved us, though. It's the water. We, we know physically we need water to survive. You, air is more important. Our respiratory therapist will tell us that. Uh, but water is essential. But it's not the bucket that saves us. It is the water that saves us. And our, likewise, our faith is the instrument that is the receiving of the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. So don't get, our, get, get too big of a fat head. It's like, well, that's how I, I'm saved. I save myself through faith. No. And also at the same time, don't be too hard on yourself with your doubts and your fears and those things because it was just the bucket. It's Christ that saves us. It is Christ that saves us. And so it is, it, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have this ironclad and, and, and bulletproof faith. We just have to ask in the one who is bulletproof and ironclad in his promises. He's the one who then can save us. And so that's important for us, for us to remember here. And he says there that it's through faith to all and on all who believe. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. And I guess it might pause for a second here. Justified. Justified is a different than a pardon. Because a pardon is you have committed a crime. You've been convicted, guilt, convicted, proven guilty, serving time, and you're pardoned. Then they say, okay, you can go free. Now, that's not what God does. God justifies the sinner, in that he declares them righteous, that they were actually right. They were good. Yeah, it really is, because that makes a whole bigger difference, because on the one hand, you can be pardoned and then break the law again and then go back to jail. But if you've been justified, declared right, then it's good, past, present, future. Declared righteous. Yeah. Better than it never happened, right? I mean, it, 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 we don't have words to describe what justification, what justified means. And, and I regret that the world has twisted even those fancy Bible words into things that would cloud our thinking on this. But that is, that is what this word is talking about. We've been declared in right standing with God freely. It didn't cost you anything. By His grace, by His just good favor. It's, it's in, in, when grace is talked about in the Hebrew, it's, it usually is, is often used of God, but it's also used of kings who took favor upon someone that was beneath them and chose to lift them up. And that's what the king of the universe does when he gives grace to us, is we are far beneath him. There was a, a spot in our, in our song that we sang, the first one at Calvary. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. Praise 
at Calvary. Because he is the high king and he went all the way down to us in the miry pit of our sin to rescue us. And I'm going to come back to that verse in a minute. Um, But it is freely by grace. But it wasn't cheap. Because anything of value. Someone has to pay the price. And that's referred to here because most of what Paul is talking about in this section are terms from the courtroom. They're judicial terms, but he borrows one that's both judicial and from the market. And it's one that we squirm with in America because he's borrowing from the slave market. And that's the word redemption. That we have been redeemed because we've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because in, in Bible times, slavery was much less about race and was mostly about economics. When you went bankrupt, unable to pay your debts, you went into slavery. Your family went into slavery and you worked until the debt was paid. It was economic and there was a price and that price was your redemption. And Christ paid that redemption because your death, your sin earned a debt called death. And so he pays that price. It is your redemption price. And so that thing of value Eternal life was paid for at a price. Paid for at a price. It's free to you, but it is costly because he paid the price of release. He paid the price of freedom for you because someone had to pay that price. And this is where we come to an interesting, it's not the, the, the big thing that he's preaching here, but it's written all through it. And that is that this redemption is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. That God the Father and God the Son conspired, cooperated, coordinated, whatever words you want to use in that, they work together to bring about this salvation. It was not as some, some mistaken that, you know, there was an implacable God who uh, could not be uh, bought off and then someone else went around and, 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 and did this against the will of, of, the, of a righteous judge. It's quite to the contrary. The just God did this himself. The father and the son willfully together came up with this. And that's where I I said I'd come back to at Calvary. That last verse is a good one. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. But that plan that plan that would somehow satisfy the justice of God and he could still be merciful and declare sinners righteous. 
It was God himself who, who did this for himself. Because the redemption price wasn't owed to the devil. It wasn't owed to anyone else but himself. In fact, if you read the end of the book in Revelation, it is what that everyone is afraid of. The wrath of the lamb. Those two words don't go together, right? We, if you've been around sheep, they're not wrathful creatures, right? But the reality is, is that's chosen on purpose. Because in the Gospels, we see Jesus, friend of sinners, meek and mild, came to seek and save those that are lost, paid this price. He has brought in to the family of God his beloved brothers and sisters. And the world has hated them, mocked them, scorned them, wounded them, and killed them. His family. And that's just one reason he has wrath. He has created us, made us for a specific purpose, and instead of doing that, done their own thing. I don't know if you've ever worked with tools or worked with things, but when they don't work the way they're supposed to, and the preacher does have a temper, and tools have been known to fly across the room when they don't work according to the plan. I'm not saying that's what God is doing, but I am saying it gives you a glimpse of another reason why God would have wrath at his beloved creatures who refuse to work the way that he designed them. And that's just two examples of why. We could go on. He knows how painful and corrosive sin is within his creation. Knows better than we do. Why all the pain? Why all the hurt? Why all the the death, he knows, and that's not the way he made the world to work. That's why he hates sin. And that's just another reason. That is the wrath of the lamb. And that price needed to be paid. That anger at sin needed to be, it needed justice. That's the justice of God. And he could, well, in the wisdom of God, in this precarious deal that he worked out with himself, he would punish sin one of two ways. He would punish it on those who sinned, if they so chose to keep attached to their sin, or he would punish it on his son at the cross. The cross that we sang about, and was it two or three songs this morning? The cross. He would punish sin there. And he would give us the choice. Would we want to be punished with our sin or would we want our sin punished on someone else? But that doesn't sound fair, does it? It's not. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called mercy. You don't want justice. You don't want fair. Rest assured. Because God doesn't even want you to 
God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so that's why he even made this alternative possible. And so he set forth. And this is this is the thing is it would be unfair to ask anyone else to do this. It would be unfair of God to ask anyone else to pay the price for someone else. But it's okay because no one else could pay the price for someone else because we're all equally sinners. We all, I can't pay for your sins any more than you could pay for my sins because you've got your own sins and I've got my own sins. All have sinned. And so God sees that it will be upon himself. And there's a really interesting picture that Isaiah uses at the end of, the, of his book where he says that God looked around and there was no one who could save. And so he rolled up his sleeves and said, I will do it myself. And that's what it's talking about in Isaiah 53 is this God who took it upon himself to pay the price because it wouldn't be fair to ask anyone else to do it. But no one else could do it anyways, only him who is righteous and holy and just. And so he paid the price so that, and this is, this is where we pause for a second. He then demonstrates his righteousness. He proves that he is righteous because in the past he had been patient with sinners He had refrained from punishing sin immediately. Think back to the garden. He told Adam, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And he did. He spiritually died that day when he ate of the fruit. But he didn't physically die. When Cain murdered his brother, God did not smite him either, but put a mark upon him so that he would not die. And we see over and over again, there are occasions when God finally says, okay, it's time to reset. And we see that at the flood. We see that in the Passover in Egypt. We see those occasions in the the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. It is a massive reset. But God's pattern has been to refrain from punishing sin. And so then one could accuse, it's like, well, why can't God just forgive without a price being paid? Because then he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be righteous. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we want some sins to be punished. We want some wrongs done to us to be punished. Even the world does. Those kinds of sins, those need punished. Not mine, but those kind. Right? We know what we're talking about. And so God demonstrated his righteousness in that he had appointed a point in time and a place where he would punish all those sins. And he did it at the cross. He did it and accomplished it. And then he declares sinners to be righteous. Sinners who put their faith in Jesus, as he says once again, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith 
in Jesus. Which brings us back to Proverbs. But isn't that what God said he doesn't approve of? Is to justify the wicked and to condemn the righteous? And I go back to that's why God could only do it himself. To be able to bring those two things together to accomplish his greater good. A rescue for us. Something that would be reprehensible to God. To, to condemn the righteous. Well, it was himself. So that he could justify the wicked. Which wicked? The ones who acknowledge their wickedness and repentance and cry out in faith in the God who forgives sin. And so we come back to, and we're going to look at these more next week. Um, Two examples that Paul uses in Romans chapter 4 of men who, oh, they were... They were messes sometimes. But they found forgiveness with the God who was also righteous. Why? Because they chose that. Because as we pointed out, the justice of God satisfied that He would punish sin Upon himself, the lamb would take that for those who would choose to believe in him. And those who refuse, they stay with their sin and bear their punishment in eternity in hell. And so it comes to us, we still choose to believe or we choose not to believe in the plan that God has implemented. He's put it all together. The deal has been already worked. He's, both parties are in agreement. God and God. All you, all you choose to do is whether you're going to accept it. You have nothing to offer, but you've been given one way to receive it. And it's by faith. And we're going to have a song of invitation. And that's the invitation. And reality is, as, as Brother Cletus prayed earlier and as we pray, that is our constant prayer, is that if there's some that don't have that assurance, that confidence, that they have trusted in Christ, ask for that gift of salvation. Well, don't keep putting it off. Because you don't want to stay with your sin when it gets punished. Because a just God will punish sin. But instead, to cling to Christ today, the one who took that punishment and already worked the deal so you could be forgiven and he could still be righteous. And maybe you know someone that hasn't accepted that. It's an opportunity to pray for them. Maybe you just marvel because you hadn't really thought about how God forgave 
And think about the price that was paid to forgive. And it's an opportunity to worship. But will you stand and will you respond as the Holy Spirit prompts in those areas today?